please join me in welcoming James, James McArdle. Yeah. The poor man has already had a matinee today, so he's kind of exhausted, I imagine. It's a luxury having a night off. <laughs> uh, James, before we discover how you created the character of, of Peter, I wonder if we could look at the creation of James McArdle, actor. <laughs> I mean, we know that you're from Glasgow, you were a child actor, you trained at RADA. What sparked your desire to perform? Um, I'm, God, I'm not sure really. I think w when I was younger, you said being a child actor, the, it really just happened because this TV company came into my school. I think they were looking for the most obnoxious child they could find. Um, and that's how that really started. It was never really on the cards for me. I was, it was sort of plucked. I don't think it would have been, um, that option would have presented itself to me if that hadn't happened, that event hadn't happened. And from there, I got put into a youth theatre and, that, and that's how that world became apparent to me. Otherwise, I don't really see how I would have got into it, you know? Mm. And um, and it, it took up so much time, really. And I had to choose. I used to swim a lot and and uh, and I had to choose w what to follow, really. And I just, I just, it was so alien to me and, and really, um, broadened my whole world, acting and drama, and that's and that's really how I got into it. And I and I didn't ever think that I could do it for a living. And then this wonderful uh, English teacher at my high school said that I could, and she she helped me apply for RADA. And then um, Donald Dewar, who was our first first minister, um, left a whole bunch of money to the Dewar Arts Awards, and that's how. Um, my English teacher at, the, at my high school fought to get me um, an award that helped pay for me to go to RADA. So it was it was through other people um, opening doors for me. Really, was is the only way, and I'm so grateful that they that they did. Mm, and and I mean, here you are. Your career has been fabulously successful, and here you are now playing <laughs> Peter. Gibbs. You know, it was weird when I went to the youth theatre. The woman who ran the youth theatre always used to say to me. When I was about 14, you should play Peer Gynett. And I used to be like, what do I do that for? <laughs> and now I'm like, okay, fine. <laughs> Why do you think, though, that, 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 that this particular play lends, it so it lends itself so well to, to adaptation? Why is it relevant today? Well, <clears throat> the play, I mean, I don't, especially when it's in British uh, circles, you know, it's, it's odd how it's always received, usually like Marmite or right down the middle. This, this production certainly has been. And I think it's, um, people sort of underestimate, I think in this country, from, from talking to people, the kind of universal aspect of Peer Gynn, or cause people think it's this foreign European play, but it's actually Shakespearean in its scope, you know, like it takes in everything. It's, a, it's, it's a, sometimes a poorly constructed play, but it's sort of deliberately juvenile in that, in that regard. And, um, and therefore I think it's a classic, so it will always stand the test of time. There are, no, there are enough, fundamental human um, themes in it that will take it through the whole the course of, of time. But the sort of um, light that we are shining on it is, is the idea of the individual in society and um, how that has been sort of promoted and, and um, honoured above all else now, especially with social media and, um, and, and in, every, in every element, even in our politics, you know, like it's the sort of cult of the personality and um, and that's and that's why the play sort of was screaming. And uh, Jonathan and I talked about this. We've been talking about this play for f four years, I, thi I think. And talking about how to 
how to do it and it, and it just felt in the, in the last two years suddenly it was screaming to be done you know because there's a danger when you're looking to work with someone that you love working with or you're looking to play part i do think there's a kind of death knell of like actors like i must play the giant parts and like just endlessly like sort of just i'll play that part now or i'll play that part now you sort of want to um find a part that meets you in the middle and and the play has a reason for doing it and i when i read peer Gint again i thought this is you know screaming to be done in terms of that theme of the individual and self-obsession and and um self-regard and the kind of the sort of constant analysis of your own progress mm. and what progress and success it. is mm. only based on with a kind of sort of capitalistic scenario which is really the only way that we do rate success now i think mm. you have a, a history as you say with with jonathan but also with david and with ibsen yeah yeah my, my first play at the national was another four-hour ibsen <laughs> light entertainment and that was with jonathan it was the second time i worked with jo uh, jonathan and that was amazing because I, I it was really my first time on such a big stage and i learned so much and i was with incredible actors i was the baby of the company i can't stand not being the baby <laughs> honestly there's so many young ones in this cast i'm like I like they all used to, it was like Andrew Scott and Ian McDermott and Jamie Ballard, John Heffernan, these fantastic actors, Genevieve O'Reilly, who all sort of took me under their wing and, and taught me, really. And I loved that role, and now I'm sort of teaching other people, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm old. But anyway, the, um, but the, uh, you know, it's, um, it's such a weird, you know, it's completing the circle, coming back and trying to wrestle. Y these kind of parts, you have to sort of wrestle them to the ground, and I do. It's with Jonathan and David I feel most comfortable to to try and attempt these things that aren't necessarily going to be popular, that aren't necessarily going to be fashionable. You know, there's other plays that I do for that. But but when I want to get better, when I want to get better at acting, Jonathan and David are, are where I are what I seek out because they're interested. And in I remember Jonathan saying to me when we went, we decided to do it. You know, when you're thinking about plays to do that are neat or fashionable, or, or th this is not any of th those things. And I remember Jonathan saying to me, I found it so moving. You know, Jonathan's a, you know, a wealth of experience behind him, could sort of do anything or do nothing. It's up to him, really, in terms of what he does. And I remember him saying to me, if we're doing this, we have to go out to sea. Uh, and I, I just remember, I thought, oh, that's so moving because that this isn't sitting around a kitchen sink. It's not going to please everyone. It's not, but we have to be prepared to go out to sea. And uh, you don't get those opportunities much as an actor. And when someone who you trust is saying, let's do that. And I felt the same with Platonov as, uh, as well. You know, these, these two plays, Platonov and Pierre Gunt, Pierre Gint, are totally undoable, you know, uh, allegedly. And that's, and that's what excited me but I could not do it if I, I I wouldn't I don't think I'd have the the courage to do it if I wasn't in um those hands that I I really there's a really we're such an odd kind of trio really you know we don't really go together but there is a um a freedom in the room that I that I you know they crack me up and I think I bewilder them so I think it's uh, I think it's uh it sort of somehow works you know did David write it with you in mind uh, yeah there's this not the adaptation of Platonov that he'd done that years before, but the, and then I came in. But with the, this adaptation of Pierre Gint, it was sort of much. It was pretty. It was the three of us sort of embarking on this uh, together. And and you know when the first uh, draft came through of the version that David had written, I was, 
it was everything I'd hoped and, and more. It was, it was, and so, and there's, there's sometimes we can hear David's voice crystal clear, but I think it has really cut David loose in, a, in a some ways that are, of course, of course, there are moments where you can hear him blazing, but um, in other regards, you know, he's never done a big journey play like this before. It's, it's, I was excited by the, um, I was taken aback and very much pleased when I read the first draft at the uh, freedom. The, you know, there's a sense of caprice in, in the original Ibsen, which I was so keen that we, we keep. And it's what makes the play kind of unpopular, especially in British circles. You know, within one half an hour, you've seen a comedy, a farce, a tragedy, a musical. A, you know, it flips in tone and, um, it, you know, in a, in a heartbeat. And that is very deliberate and absolutely part of, it's as absurd as life is, you know, like we think we're on this kind of linear track. We're not, we're not. We, we're, we're as life is as absurd and non-linear and non, uh, and changes tone like that from the ridiculous to the sublime in a heartbeat in real life. And that was really there in the Ibsen and Ibsen talked about that and talked about the sense of caprice in the play and it mustn't be ignored. You mustn't try and sort of, Jonathan says, you know, we mustn't try and, um, give this play an, a neat little comb over and send it off to school and a blazer. You know, like, like we have to be sort of like, yep, that's right, now there's a two-headed troll, now we're singing, now we're dancing, now I'm greeting, now there's an onion. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it sort, of, sort of needs that. And if you don't go with it, you're going to have a miserable half of a life. And if you are, if you do go with it, it can be quite a fun three hours, 13 minutes. <laughs> which I, I have got it down to, thank you. I love that pricey that you just gave. Us <laughs> 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 uh, but that was... Uh, uh, and when, uh, sorry, when I read the when I read David's version, I was so thrilled to see that he had com completely um, stayed true to that sense of uh, caprice, I would say, or, or, or shift in tone. And not only that, I'd embraced it. And for me, I was I, I think that's a really exciting thing to see David here do. Mm. Now it's set in Scotland and Dunoon. Uh, you've spoken out before about Scottish. It, I'm so sorry. Before, can I just say? We say Danoon, that's how you pronounce it, but the way David and Jonathan pronounce it, it's like, mm-mm, Danon. <laughs> it's always like, you know, Danon. I'm like, Danoon, mm-mm, Danon. Anyway, <laughs> the whole cast, we told, we told them. I'm so sorry. Now you're going to ask me that same question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ask you about um, Scottish actors because you've talked before about them being sidelined, that the, there's prejudice and ignorance within the industry towards Scottish performers. Tell me more about that. Uh, well, <coughs> what do you want me to say about it? <laughs> well, just that you have, rant is probably too strong a word, but you have very strong <laughs> feelings yeah, about I do, this. Yeah. Um, I do, well, I think it's, you know, um, when I played Platonov here, uh, it's, it's not really about, I, mean, I have faced prejudice. I, I remember I went to audition for um, uh, the, the film of Posh, right? And um, one of the casting assistants there, wasn't the main casting assistant, it was one of the assistants, and I'd just been playing Harold Abrahams in, uh, he's a really posh English character uh, in Chariots of Fire, and I swear that's why I was got, got brought in, and I always remember the casting assistant saying, how strange is this? You, in here? <laughs> and I was like, Act, I'm an actor. And like, you know, and there's all those, and w all I mean is, if you are a working class actor, and I, don't, I think it's true, if you're British or American, if you're working class and you have a strong accent, you best be good. At, you best get good at doing a posh English accent or a posh American accent. And if you are a posh English person or a posh American person, you don't need to bother with being able to do a Glaswegian accent. Don't worry about it. 
no one will ask you to do it. Whereas I won't work, you will still work. You'll be allowed, and you know this is there's never there's never really been a a leading man, a protagonist in a f full Glaswegian accent on the levee as many times I, as I've fought to get my own accent on the levee. You, you know, there's never been that. When I when I um, sure there'd have been leading Scottish actors probably here, but with much more toned down accents, there would there wouldn't have been protagonists on the stage playing the classical roles with broad with broad Glaswegian accents. There wouldn't have been. And I remember. Um, when I did, when I played Platonov, so many people and I knew and everything kept saying, it's so brave to make him Scottish. <laughs> and I'm like, he's Russian. <laughs> it's just as weird that they're all talking posh. Like, he's Russian and uh, you know, Romeo's Italian. Macbeth is Scottish. I've hardly ever heard that done Scottish. You know, like, <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, so I, I you know, I don't, um, I just think there's been a slight, I don't think there's a sort of malicious, it's, it's a kind of um, cultural oversight or, you know, just how we're sort of, you know, the way that the whole country's structured, I think, has been done that. But things are changing and, and um, you know, you just need to make sure when you do get the opportunities, you know, David and Jonathan are sort of these vanguards of British theatre, never once, they wanted me to do it in my sc Scottish accent and it's, and I remember I got a bit of backlash for saying that, and people were like, "Oh, poor little actor." And, blah, blah. and um, fine, it is annoying when actors whinge. But they, but um, I wasn't saying it like uh, I don't want to have to do other accents. I love transforming, and I, and I love doing other accents. But sometimes when you're taking on the classical roles, it's not always about transform, especially for Pierre Gint or Platonov, or you know, it's not really about look at me do this character. It's actually about watching someone wrestle a part to the ground most of the time, and. There's you c you're so much freer when you're when you're doing it in your own voice. I could play pure again English. Fine. If you want me to do that, I'll do Norwegian. that. Norwegian or Norwegian, I couldn't do that. <laughs> to, to be honest, but um, you know, it's 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 not um. The the play, and I felt it with Platonov as well. The play lends itself. If I read the play and thought this doesn't suit me, and and I, I think it would benefit from me doing another accent, I would do it. But Weirdly, the Norwegian temperament, the Russian temperament, felt like it fitted in my voice better, you know, than a clipped sound. Yeah. Uh, you talk about wrestling this role to the ground, yeah. and it is a massive, massive I can part. show you the bruises. <laughs> I am covered. Well, it, I mean, it goes through three distinct stages. As you say, it's about him peeling back those layers to find himself. And you must have had to do a great deal of peeling back to find him too. I mean, how did you begin discovering who Peter is? Well, worryingly, I related to him really early on and I was like, oh God. Um, but I, I never knew what that teacher meant. It was like, you should play him. And I'm like, oh. But, um, no, but I, no, I didn't, I, you know, it's weird. There's sort of so many kind of male traits in him, which are, you know, that have led to men ruling the world in a way that I think is quite damaging. And he, he says it in the play, I'll point to the, I say it right there. He um, says, I, I've, I can hear the sound of children. It's weird, see when you're doing a play, I'm sorry, I'm jumping about. When, when, you, when you do a play and it's a good play and it has, it has um, and I do think this is a good play and it jumps in tone and it's weird when you're doing a play that is so universal and when political things happen in the news, there's these different, um, things happen to the performance. So for example, when I was doing Angels in America and I had this 
23-minute rant about race in America and about um, if it was Jewish people or black people that had it harder in America. While we were doing the play, um, Charlottesville happened. And it's, there's sometimes these amazing things happen when you're doing a play and something happens politically and it changes the tone of, of what you're doing. And with that wonderful young uh, girl who's gone to the UN, Greta, you know, she went to the UN, and I have this line here, um, uh, I, I can hear the sound of children weeping, born into a world which men like me have destroyed. And it's, it's amazing when like, you're in the middle of a run and a, and a new line comes out to you. And anyway, uh, that, I don't know, I don't, I don't know how you're saying peeling back. There are so, so many things that a young, a young man especially, a kind of vanity and a sort of like um, indoctrinated misogyny or chauvinism that I was raised on and uh, that you have to really unlearn or people teach you about it by you know, giving you a reality check or whatever. Those bits I, I did relate to. Um, and then as he got older, you know, I, I took from my dad and my granddad and um, it was interesting, like, seeing how men age. And I, and I do think a lot of our production is about the, the um, flaws in, in male characters, male protagonists. I think, the, the, you know, we're going through this whole cultural change now, you know, especially with... Um, representation and everything and, and when there was a bit of backlash about people being like oh god he's, it's another sort of white male part but I actually think he is an anti-hero and part of the point of our production is showing you the flaws of these men. Mm -hmm. when, that doesn't when really answer your question. No, it, well it I opened about nine tabs. <laughs> Let's let's pick up on one of those okay. tabs because <laughs> you were you were talking about sort of p political or current affairs references. Yeah. In the middle section, it feels very Trumpian. Yeah. Were you deliberately channeling him? It's a mixture of Trump, my dad, and my mate Liam. <laughs> really. I wouldn't let your let mate Liam know that. Worryingly, when they came to see <laughs> it, they came to see it. My mate Liam's girlfriend took me aside and went, "See in the middle bit, have you just been Liam?" I was like. <laughs> And Liam knew, he was like, oh, yes, 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 I, I could see it straight away. <laughs> I was like, oh. But it is a sort of, um, and I don't know, I don't know how other actors work, but I kind of, like a scavenger, I sort of like pick and steal bits, you know, and kind of fling them together and hope that I fill in the gaps or sandpaper over the cracks. And that's, and, and again, it was interesting, you know, there's, some parts of my dad that do remind me of Trump and, um, <laughs> and like, and I, I recently, and, and, it was weird that that's obviously what's fueling me. You know, like that rage I have towards that type of man it sort of fuels me during that whole middle um, section. Mm -hmm. Apart from the end when he's in the lunatic asylum and all that fuels me is my rage for social media. And when the, all the lunatics are sort of coming out, I just see Instagram. Are you on social media? No. <laughs> I'll be Instagramming this later. <laughs> good luck to you, good luck to you all. Uh, the end's coming, they're all watching you. Do enjoy yourself. <laughs> this, this is um, a huge, huge part. As you say, three hours and 13 minutes. Yeah, sometimes 12. <laughs> uh, depending on what line yeah, you miss Depends how much they're laughing at <laughs> that thing. Um, just physically, how do you prepare yourself for that? Well, I made the mistake one day of eating a pizza before I went on, and it was a disaster. So I eat light. And I don't, um, and I, and I really, I mean, honestly, I'm really boring right now. I don't, I'm not, I, 
I'm not drinking, I'm hardly meeting healthy and I just sleep. I mean, honestly, on my Sundays, I lie in my bed all day and she'd see me try to get to the toilet. Like, it's like, <laughs> it's, I've never known anything like it. And it's sort of not even like a decision or like one of those horrible method actors that are like, I'm not doing anything. I, I literally would love to go out and drink and have a good time. I just honestly physically can't. Like, it, it sort of dictates to me um, what's needed, you know, and it's, it requires a, a total dedication. I also just, I simply wouldn't be able to do it. That's, that's the, the long, I would have tried, but I w it, would just, it would just kill me. It's, um, it's, it's even at the end of the first scene, it's a kind of, it's not an easy play to command, you know, like it's a, as a for all the reasons I've talked about, you're wrestling with it and it will beat you if you don't beat it. Like it's a sort of fight to the end, who's going to dominate who and, and, it, and it will kill you if you don't kill it. And I really do believe that. So the, the very, by the end of the first scene with my mum, which is one of the hardest scenes, I am jiggered. I'm like, oh. and you just have to sort of propel yourself forward it's um it's, it's emotionally draining yeah too. yeah and, and it's and it's by the time i get the, the real emotional stuff at the end it's um there's, there's no more resistance left in me anyway so it's actually it's actually easy i don't know i i, I don't know it's um it's a, a play that you need to wrestle and it is difficult but it's also extremely enjoyable there's a freedom to it that um that a lot of other plays don't don't give you and you can sort of and the relationship with the audience is so important in this that you can um feed off of them. Yeah. When when you're starting with the young Peter and that, that very first scene with, with the mother, do you have in your head that, that trajectory that he's going to take? Are you already feeling the old Peter? Sometimes when I'm standing in that box up there and I'm about to start the first scene, and I think, oh my God, I've still got two and a half hours before I'm in that grave with those trees that are walking about. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh my God, I can't believe this. <laughs> But then, but I, I don't, I actually take it scene by, um, scene, section by section, and I have sort of more sections in my head than just the three sections. I've sort of sectioned off the plays, and I, I literally take it moment by moment, and, and, I, and I try and think my lines in, in the moment, and so that keeps you kind of present, you know, and, um, and make it sound like you're, the, uh, what I was always would have hated with this play is that it sounds like it's caught onto a rhythm or caught onto, it is a poem, I don't want it, I want it to sound like I'm wrestling with my thoughts or making it up as I go along. Or it's really important to me that that, ha that has that naturalism and realism to it um, within the structure of this um, lyricism and poetry that you have to meet or else again it would be, you can't, naturalism is not going to save you. You know, like it's a sort of enjoyable decoration on top, but the actual engine needs to be um, working, you know, and it's a, uh, Th that's the thing that needs a kind of um I, s I remember having a talk with a company which is I, I know you always hear actors say oh it's a lovely company it's literally the nicest company I, I've ever ever worked with and I've worked with some horror shows but like but like th like this is a gorgeous gorgeous company and they and I remember as early on the first previews I mean I've never been so n we we've been locked away for seven months we understand the play we know what the two-headed boy means and what those talking hyenas mean we know, right? And suddenly we came out and we were like, oh my God, we need to do this in front of people. And I, we did feel they were just sort of like, <laughs> you know, and, um, and we get it, you know, we totally get it. And, and when, you're, when you're doing those first few previews and you're finding out what works and what doesn't and what needs to, you know, be more streamlined, we've figured out as a company, 
this is not just me, the whole company. We need to lead this or it will lead us. Like there, there can't be one. There comes usually a point in a run where the play is so well made um, and so sophisticated that there comes a point in a company, where a, where a run where a company and a play kind of meet in the middle and one will support the other. And that, that gives um, breathing space for someone not feeling too good or someone not being on their A game or whatever. That, that leaves a kind of, bit of wiggle room for, for the play and the company to help each other out. This play, there's no such luxury with this play. And if there's one person lagging behind, it will drive this juvenile, poorly constructed kaleidoscope down to the ground, yeah. you know, and uh, it really, really will. It needs a, um, a cast that will uh, give a forward propulsion through sheer will uh, of anything else. Or it will undo you. It's not sophisticated enough, yeah. you know. It's, it's and I mean, it's not just acting either, is it? I mean, the singing and dancing. I absolutely love the cowgirls. Yes, yes, But yes. I wonder how you, you balance that because you are going from extreme levity to, to the deep seriousness of something like Agatha's death. Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, Honestly, getting ready for the Agatha's death scene, which is really personal to me at the moment, and uh, you know, I always is what is one of the most important. It's one of the most famous scenes written in the play, and I've literally and I didn't get to because you, you rehearse scenes in isolation. It wasn't until we started running it together, and I have this scene where I meet the love of my life, and it's quite a tender scene, and then this apparition appears of this troll queen that I met with this son who has two heads, and tells me they're going to haunt me for the rest of my life. I say I'm going to flee, then I run off there and I literally have four or five lines to run round the back, walk on, calm, and then like do one of the most famous death scenes in all of literature. And I'm literally like, <laughs> and then um, in the uh, dresser case is standing with a big massive bottle of water. So like I, I bolt round, get the water, and I'm like, <laughs> and I mean, it's, it is, it's literally as, as practical as that, you know? Like, it's sort of like, how do I get into, like, how do I control my breath? It's as practical as that till I, till I get ready to do um, this scene. And that was just um, practice, and Jonathan was so good at saying, you know, what do you need, what do you need to, you need to be around there in that amount of time, and, and um, I swear they should put a GoPro backstage, because that's the real show. Like, that, on that um, journey, the amount of people that are, like, clearing the path and putting the lights down so I can see where I'm going because if I trip, game over. Yeah. But the, but um, it's a. Uh, I can't remember your question. <laughs> uh, John, working working with with Jonathan. I mean, as you say, that's an incredibly important thing. D just talk us through that that sort of because it's the fifth time I think you've worked with him. Yeah, yeah. Talk us through that relationship, the actor director relationship. He always makes me promise not to tell people how he directs me because he's meant to be a really serious director. <laughs> and he goes, camper butcher, camper butcher. <laughs> That's what he tells me <laughs> when, I'm, when, I'm, when I'm doing scenes. Don't you die that I said that. Yeah, no, we have a, I, we have a totally... Um, uh, I, 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 he, he is... I'm so lucky to, to have a director like that because... because a lot of the times you work with directors and you work on shows and um, it, you know you know that the end goal is their vision, right? And their concept, right? Like, um, and getting their concept together and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and that's, they don't, they don't care really about you or your development. They, they want, fair dues, they want you to do their play, do it the way they wanted to do it and stand so the light can shine and everyone can understand how clever they are. But he 
really loves actors. And he has, throughout his career, had actors that he'd worked with for years and years on end. It's not just me, that it with uh, Ray Fiennes, Imelda Staunton, uh, Diana Rigg, you know, he uh, has people that, and what I find so, why I feel so lucky to work with him, and I'd work with him again and again and again, is I feel, this might be all a wonderful uh, ruse, but actually, I feel he's interested in my development as an actor. And, and so that allows, it's sort of like a training. And I, I am totally privileged to, to be in a relationship like that because I, he'll never come. You know, I've suggested plays to him and he's like, in a hard place, right? Because he'll be like, Peter Gint. And I was like, oh my God, really? <laughs> it, you know, because he's like that. What else are you going to do to make you go, to make you get better? You, you know, and, and I just want to get better. And that, and that is, he forces me to. My God, he forces me to shouts at me and all sorts, I mean, you know, like, and he, you know, he is harsh with me, but I'm quite harsh with him as well, but like, but the, you know, it's, it's, I am one of the, oh God, I, I, it's one of the most precious relationships I have in my life, you know, I just, uh, I just adore him, and again, it was an odd combo, but, but he makes me laugh as well, which is one of the most important things, I mean, I can't tell you, so many directors, it's so boring, it's so <laughs> dull, you know, and it's so serious. He makes me laugh, and it's, it really does, it is really important, because what it does is it frees the room up, and you're suddenly real people trying to make good work, rather than sort of like artists trying to make art with like balancing people's egos, which is what a lot of it can be. And suddenly, with someone like Jonathan at the helm, you're actually just making art. Like you're actually... You, the actual person, none of the bull that, that comes along with acting, like, or, or in a room with egos, you, it's a complete leveller when Jonathan's in the room. He, uh, he treats everyone the same, um, and, and he, knows how to, he knows how to have a laugh, and it gets the best out of people. And when people are having a nice time, when you do need to call upon the more emotional, serious stuff, they're more open to do so. You know, they're, they're, they, they are, they're more relaxed, and that is... I, I would walk to the ends of the earth for Jonathan Kent again and again and again. And, you know, Platonov was almost a bridge too far. And then he came with Pierre Gint. And I was like, oh my God, I don't know what's next. To be honest. I don't know where you go from Pierre Gint. <laughs> Hopefully, a wee kitchen sink drama or something. I don't know. As you say, you don't know where you go from this. And I wonder where it's led you internally. What do you take from playing this part? Well, I think uh, it's made me think a lot more about my own mortality. Um, <laughs> and uh, and I don't know. It's 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 made me think. Have a break, and uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's ma you know, it's made me do. It's made me go. Don't do plays unless you are for the wrong reasons. You know, I I really think it was time. I, I felt like I should play Pierre again, and there's a couple of other parts just now. People talking about, and I go, oh yeah, maybe I should play that. Maybe I should play that. And I, I'm going, no, no, that's not the right way to go about it. Play the part that you're meeting, that you've got that you've got something to say. I c I've got something to say via Pierre Gint, and I can say it. And I, and I look to, um, that's what I look to when I look, uh, you know, and there is something I'm talking about that I go, that, that's what I should be doing next, you know? Because, because you, I don't know how else to describe it other than I feel like I've got something to say. Does that make sense? Like, I've, I feel like I've got something to say via that. I know how to say that. Um, and that is how I do try and choose parts anyway. 
listening James I think that we really need to let you get an early night oh thank you so thank much thank you thank you so much for coming thanks for watching the play cheers thank you thank you Ola where do I go now because that way thank you so much thank you